0: back today, Eat, Pray, Judge, talking about a classic from 1975. Today we're going to talk about Dog Day Afternoon by Sidney Lumet. And uh, we've got Al Pacino starring, and he is at the top of his game. This is like apex predator Al Pacino. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: Yes. Pre-scent of a woman.
0: Yeah, this is pre- Rough, rugged,
1: and raw Al Pacino.
0: pre (laughs) hoo Uh, it makes me think about, you know, when before we uh, had uh, uh, f- photos or TV, you you basically didn't get to see people age in real time. And, uh, you know, you just run into somebody at the village and you're like, oh, this guy looks older than the last time I saw him. Or it was a fuzzy memory, what people look like as kids. Yeah. But now you can just see exactly and be bummed out by what happens to people
1: (laughs) people that deteriorate
0: yeah and it's not that it's not that uh al pacino now isn't still captivating to watch on screen or like watching him in scarface isn't great or watching him in uh scent of the scent of a woman Mm -hmm. or devil's advocate which is one of my favorite right al pacino roles but when you see him in the 70s when he's like (laughs) likable he doesn't look like a haggard monster you know (laughs) Yeah,
1: I think I think he might have had some work done.
0: You think so? Well, it's a, it was a hu- hustle backwards type of work <laughs> he had done. Um I feel that job. <laughs> but uh, this movie takes place in in the it's a classic 1970s movie. We're we're get, we're getting in a time machine, going back to uh, the New York City where Lou Reed was crooning about drag queens, transsexual grifters, and heroin, and the streets were simmering with racial tension. The streets were simmering with racial tension. And uh, this was around the time that um, all sorts of like, crazy things were happening. Like There was a Puerto Rican separatist group of radicals that were uh, leaving bombs around the city, uh, the FLNM. Uh, and then there was also the weathermen that were, blew up a building in um, the West Village that was coincidentally right next to Dustin Hoffman's house. And you also had just uh, the cops were scared. You know, former Black Panthers were running around robbing banks. Everybody was going crazy.
1: Dead gorillas in the streets in the South Bronx?
0: <laughs> yeah, I saw that <laughs> yeah. in the documentary. Rubble kings. Uh, yeah, rubble kings. And then also you just had, I mean, every, everything was just, you know, there wasn't internet yet. There wasn't video cameras yet. So uh, crime, a lot of crimes I think went unreported. Martial law. Uh, really hard to find out what was going on. And then Vietnam was happening. So people were protesting that. Uh, we hated the government. We, by we, the people, hated the government. Uh, the police were suspect. Right. Um, and uh, Richard Nixon was in office. I think he was done. 70, uh, what, 72?
1: The movie came out in 74. The actual events that took place, 72.
0: Right, right, so the, right. it
1: was based on a true story. Um, the... Uh, original location w- of of what happened was in Gravesend, New York, which was like a Dutch uh, settler colony originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so South Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, kind of and in New York, New York. Whenever you've got like "kill" at the end of a name of something, it means creek in Dutch. Right. So like Dutch
1: Kill. Gravesend.
0: Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> there's no kill in that, but yeah, there's <laughs> I'm so, grave Gravesend. It sounds like a very morbid name for a place. It does. Yeah. And uh, but you, where you, so you did a little bit of research on where this was filmed.
1: Uh, It was filmed uh, in uh, Prospect Park West, which is kind of unrecognizable to New York today. You can't really tell where it is until you see the street sign, so I obviously did a little research and found out that they filmed it on 16th and 17th, which you can actually see in the movie. But uh, in the Prospect Park neighborhood, Prospect Park West specifically.
0: Oh, yeah. This is very authentic. Mm. This, is, this is a New York movie. Mm-hmm. You know? Super New York. Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to see this New York if you move here now. No. Like, this isn't Sex in the City, New York, or Girls, New York. This is what it used to look yeah, like. Yeah, this is
1: not even Woody Allen, New York. This is real New York. <laughs> this is. Uh, and. Uh, the opening montage.
0: Oh, it's, I love the opening yeah. montage. So it, the movie uh, drops you right into a specific moment in time. It's like super hot day mm-hmm. in the summer in New York, and you've got uh, clips of uh, traffic jams and old men on benches talking. Dog nipples. Oh, just... Just
1: Doberman dog
0: nips. Yeah, yeah, just hanging down.
1: Yeah, uh, that's where the name of the movie came from, uh, or uh, where they got the actual working title was because, it, you know, a, a dog day of summer.
0: Mhm just that's, like you said. That's when the nipples droop. That's when the nipples <laughs> droop. <laughs> and uh and then in the last scene in the montage I go I, while I'm watching this I think oh my god New York City a city with a million stories. Yeah, and was... then it cuts to a cemetery with hundreds of gravestones. Hundreds. And I was like every one of those stories has an ending. Good job, Sydney Lamette with the edits. Uh, So what else can I say about this? Before we get started, um, this was a moment in time where everybody was angry. Uh, And um, this film is just really gives us the issues. The movie's all about the issues. Sex change operations, Vietnam, gay rights, unions, women in the workforce, police brutality. Uh, general C- it's like an episode of all in the family civil unrest <laughs> with a bank robbery <laughs> um yeah uh so i don't know uh where you want where you want to start in on this just the opening scene
1: the opening scene is great
0: uh, um world's worst bank robbery
1: yeah with the world's pussiest bank robber uh <laughs> that kid from jaws 2 uh, who bails immediately
0: Yeah, so this, I mean, honestly, this movie starts out like a comedy, a really tense comedy, with no jokes. But what I mean by comedy is that uh, everything that could possibly go wrong does.
1: Right, I mean, even the the lead-in with the montage. The montage would never lead you to believe that anything odd is happening, or anything of any sort of violent or... And it opens with an Elton John song, and it just shows the streets of New York. It shows the economy between Manhattan with the business people working, and then like the sort of more neighborhoody vibe of Brooklyn, showing you two sides. And then you just see a guy walking into a bank with a large box full of stemmed roses, apparently. And, a, and it's just a super creep with him.
0: they got to make that illegal. You shouldn't be able to walk into a bank I'm, with presents. I'm pretty
1: sure it is now. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, nothing suspicious here. No. So uh, they, they come in very well-dressed. Uh, we've got uh, John Casales playing Sal. Right. We've got Al Pacino playing Sonny, and then they've got a third member of their crew who's who didn't come dressed.
1: Not at all. I mean, he dressed cl- like a street tuft.
0: Yeah. He he didn't get the memo. Yeah. That uh, this is going to be a classy bank robbery.
1: He looked like one of the baseball furies without the makeup.
0: Yeah. So they they walk in together. Uh, baseball fury uh, gets cold feet, and the minute that uh, Al Pacino pulls out his gun, um, which. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> he didn't pull out his gun. John Cazelli was the first to pull out the gun. Yeah. yeah but he just sits next to the bank uh, manager. And then the guy walks over and goes, can we, can we stop this? And he goes, no, man, he's got the gun out. Yeah. But it's already started. We, we, we can't stop this. We can't and do it, Sonny. I, uh,
0: this film is great uh, in that it moves from really quiet to really loud. Very quickly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, lots, lots of levels. Lows and highs. And Al Pacino, again, he's playing Sonny with a lot of lows, a lot of whispers. He's, he's uh, trying to make this whole thing happen. And then ex- an explosion when he whips his gun out. Yeah. Uh, breaking the box in the most clumsy way possible. And uh, your man, the, the third wheel in this bank robbery, yeah. he gets cold feet. That guy. And, uh, and, and it conv- it tries mm-hmm. to convince Al Pacino to give him the keys to the car. So, so no, he could... had
1: the keys on him. Pacino needed them, and he's <laughs> walking out, and he goes, "Well, how am I going to get home?" <laughs> it's like, dude, I don't. Yeah, uh, I don't fucking care how <laughs> you get home.
0: Pure comedy, man. Pure comedy. Yeah, this, I, yeah.
1: I love that. There's absolutely no inclination, no backstory whatsoever to any of this. All you see is New York. You can sense a little bit of tension,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: right to right to a bank robbery with. Zero motive uh, sort of explained to anybody.
0: Let me tell you something. That's what we call tell good me. storytelling. You start mm. in the middle. Yeah. You di- you get right into the action. You start the situation off. I didn't need the prep. I don't you need don't? to see the blueprints. I don't need the schematics. I don't need them at a diner drinking cheap 50-cent coffee uh, talking about how it's all going to go down.
1: Yeah. I don't even know how you have a conversation with Sal, John. Kazali's uh, character. Kazali's yes. character.
0: Uh, we find out later more about him. And this, again, this movie is a fantastic film when it comes to uh, uh, what I, I would call evolving a character through the situations. Right. You know, when we start off, we have no idea who Sonny is. We have no idea who Sal is, but it's the way that they interact with the situation that they're presented with that reveals everything about them. And that's fantastic storytelling. Um, but <laughs> the more I discover about sal the the less uh i believe that he even graduated from fourth grade
1: yeah he looks homeschooled
0: he's the kid that never ever ever was able to bring the permission slip to school he didn't get to go on any field trips he spent a lot of time in the uh in the main office uh that's you know adjacent to the principal's private office just waiting for three o'clock to come around, oh, so yeah. he could leave on his own, or just
1: just because <laughs> he in the he didn't get room. to
0: go to the zoo. Yeah, you know he didn't get to go to the Statue of Liberty.
1: No pets for that kid.
0: No, no. Oh my God! Like Lenny from of Mice and Men. If he had a pet, uh, that pet would have been uh, smothered to death. Yeah, by too used. by too much love. Very true. Um, so yeah, these guys. Um, the the film uh, starts off with the worst bank robbery possibly. Um, happening it's like the it's two keystone cops trying to rob a bank after their driver runs away and um we immediately see that al pacino's Sonny is a little bit of a pushover you know he wants to rob the bank uh he wants to lock the secretaries in the vault but uh right before he can do it they they say we need to go to the bathroom
1: right and the old we need to go to the bathroom trick
0: and as a t you know and then you can't let just one go the minute that you say yes to one, it's a slippery slope. All of them need to go. So I I noticed that too. You know, I, I, if you're teaching first year teachers, you never you never say uh, who needs to go to the bathroom okay. because every hand's going to go up.
1: We used to have the system where you'd have to stand by the door until you got permission. <laughs> You, ever, you guys never never did that.
0: No. So you would get out of your desk in the middle of and a lesson and
1: stand at the door, which is oddly kind of humiliating. Yeah. Kids like to make fun of stuff like that. So we had this girl, I'm not gonna name her name, but she stood by the door, and she stood there for like maybe five to seven minutes, and the and the teacher was like, "I don't think you can go now. She's like, it's an emergency. No."
0: Did did she just start she, quivering she, and she, shivering? She peed. Okay. Pete Tr- on her leg. Trickle down.
1: Yep. She was my. Uh, <laughs> My carpool partner to elementary school too.
0: <laughs> so. One of the grossest things that ever happened in a carpool I had didn't, it, it was uh, one of my good friends, his uh, family lived down the street, so they, they picked us up and uh, they were, they were uh, Germanic people and they yelled. And the dad was from Germany mm. and so he would just yell at his kids. He was very f- stern, you know, and he's yelling at his kids. And it's a sort of, it's English, but it was Ger- German culturally. Yeah. And uh, his son is um, brushing his teeth in the car. Uh, because that's just, you know, we needed to get to school on time. So he's brushing his teeth in the car and the window, uh, doesn't go all the way down and he spits out the window, but he hits the inside of the window with, uh, his toothbrush foam and spit. And it just starts dribbling down the the side. had to drive, drive like 25 more minutes just in silence with, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: I bet that could learn to brush his teeth uh, way before he got in the car.
0: Yeah, so yeah.
1: You it's tough, tough German, um, German engineering.
0: But you know, I was just you know, you made me think about authority figures and mm-hmm. and their and their the power. Their, they yield. Yeah, and how sometimes that leads healed. to, sometimes that leads to embarrassing, um, uh, what f- fluid excretions? Seriously, either on floors or on windows. You don't
1: know who you're affecting. Not just the girl that Peter pants, but now I was the carpool friend of pee-pee Pants. Yeah.
0: And me. now I'm traumatized. Just the whole inside of the car smelled like Colgate. <laughs> and not in a good way.
1: Shame gate. <laughs> so let's get into it.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, Sunny messes up, man. Can
1: I say, to lead off, this yeah. might be the best movie we've done so far. It's, Top it's to bottom, the hands best down. film we've done.
0: There's, there are so many reasons to watch this movie. You watch this movie if you want how to see how a great script is written. You watch this movie if you want to see how to turn a real story into something entertaining for people to watch. Because one big problem I have with uh, stories that are based on, films that are based on true stories, is that they sacrifice um, drama right. for reality. And, like, if you ever watch a, bi- a biopic, like on Ali or on... Uh, Johnny Cash or uh, Ray, uh, Ray Charles, they sacrifice some like cool drama that could happen because they want to stay as truthful to the character as possible. And this, uh, it it was a challenge in this movie too. But instead of like giving, they, they still presented it in a really sharp, good, dramatic way.
1: Yeah. It almost kind of came off like a play. Yeah, like a David Mamet style play. They just get you get right into it. There's not a lot of backstory. The characters develop themselves throughout. I mean, the story tells the character story.
0: And also, uh, when you said play, that's a really great point to bring up because <clears throat> the whole film just takes place in one location. It takes place inside the bank, and then you Three can say total. There's the barbershop that where it, where it takes place for the cops, mm-hmm. and then there are a couple a couple scenes of, you know, um, Sonny's family watching. On TV, right, and then you've got the inside of the limo driving them to the airport.
1: Why do they call that a limo?
0: Yeah, a limo. My definition of limo is different than their
1: definition. of limo. It looked limo. like the Ghostbuster mobile when yeah. it was actually used. For it was supposed to be used before it was before it became the Ghostbuster car. Yeah, yeah. It, Which it was a hearse technically. It, yeah,
0: basically, this was a hearse with uh with minivan seats yeah, with, in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah, it, it was, a, it was a, ch- a church group van. It really was. You know. Take, taking your uh, congregation, this is the type of van that takes your congregation down to build houses with Jimmy Carter for Habitat for there Humanity. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so other reasons that this is a great movie to watch are the acting. You know, it's a it's a tour de force with everybody that you see on screen. Right. Uh, and and this, like I said, this is this is Al Pacino in his prime. Man, this around the time that he was making Godfather. Uh, this was around the time that he also made a movie called Scarecrow that I really liked, starring mm-hmm. Gene Hackman. And one reason that I think that this is such a good time for him is that his range—he could still play a beta and play an alpha. Uh, whereas later in his career, he's always the—he's like a like almost like a dominant leading man. Well, you're right. That never—that doesn't really. Uh, ever act weak or fearful or squirrely. and during this time period he was both he could play soft oh yeah, you know and vulnerable I, yeah vulnerable totally, so i don't see there's no vulnerability in tony montana none there's no uh vulnerability in in any of the characters that he's play plays now
1: right, except for a uh, son of a woman where his only issue was is a physical one yes um, that's or, a good point.
0: Yeah, and then uh, John Casales is in this as well, mm-hmm. and we can we should just honor this man for you a minute.
1: Talk a little bit about John Cazale.
0: I guess the goat, the The, goat. the, the greatest of all time,
1: like the Reggie Jackson of mid 1970s cinema.
0: But almost like slept on because uh, he didn't he wasn't very prolific. Right. He was only in like five movies that happened while he was alive, and then a, a six. Correct. When you take the one,
1: so he was in. So John Casale Sorry, John Casale is probably known to the people that acted and worked with him as probably one of the best character actors there was a huge theater background uh which is probably why he excelled so well in this type of setting especially in this movie i mean his character was sort of one-dimensional in a sense yeah um so john kazale was uh you know kid from massachusetts give a little backstory on him um who you know went to college graduated wanted to act had odd jobs supporting his ability to go out and audition he was a cab driver at one point he worked uh as a photographer a freelance so that you know obviously a creative side there yeah
0: you know who else was a cab driver at one point
1: your man larry david
0: was he yeah <laughs> probably of, at the same time in the they 70s probably, they probably man knew each other.
1: yeah um and then he worked at standard oil as a messenger so just odd job supporting you know his auditions to try out And he was, he was a theater actor so he was on and off broadway uh obviously a pretty talented guy so he got some good roles uh worked alongside people like richard dreyfuss other you know well-known actors uh, was spotted by uh, a casting director at this, in a play in 1971 called The Line or called Line. Uh, the Fred Fred Roos who was the casting director that was just you know in attendance that day loved him, recommended him as a character uh, actor to uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola loved him, cast him as uh, Fredo Corleone, the pivotal. Yeah.
0: And if you just saw him as Fredo. You know, I love I love him in that movie. I love Fredo. Yeah. But you wouldn't you wouldn't know that this was uh s- like uh, such an actor of of
1: an actor's actor. Yeah,
0: with so much respect and renown
1: because it's. He also worked at Standard Oil with Al Pacino. Just a little backstory. So they knew each other non professionally, uh, working odd jobs in New they York. They were boys. They were buddies. Hmm. Hmm. Um. So obviously he was cast as Fredo. That was a pivotal role in itself. I mean, you know. It yeah,
0: was... greatest movie of all time. Yeah, you know,
1: um, from there, he so the guy basically John Cazale was in five movies over the span of six years that were all nominated for Best Picture, um, which is an unheralded feat in cinema. And he was actually in The Godfather three, you know, posthumously, uh, you know, a little vignette of his character, a little, uh, you know, little
0: a little flashback
1: flashback. Thank you. Uh, which, an outtake an from, outtake. from, from <laughs> they from were like the they, they were like wow i mean you know the 19 hours of godfather footage
0: they were like this Godf-, cause Godfather because godfather 3 i don't know man maybe they were like we need it we need to get some of that old classic something. Uh, something back in it because al pacino at this point he looked like a character from dick tracy
1: he well, yeah <laughs> he probably just rolled over his character yeah. From and, Dick Tracy.
0: And uh, to see any of that classic footage in Godfather 3. Gave the just, sense of
1: nostalgia and brought everyone back. And we're like, oh, this was a great movie at one point. Great, great A great trilogy.
0: Oh, my God, trilogy.
1: yeah. Um, so he, he, and that was nominated, Godfather 3 was nominated for an Oscar, too. So that's six for six. Best picture. Yeah. Films. That's uh, a phenomenal. I mean, unbelievable. And the guys that he worked with, I mean, the, you know, the Francis Ford Coppola's of the world and uh, Sidney Lumet you know it just right place right time uh and if you obviously a uh, tremendous uh ability to, to appear vulnerable uh, you know on on stage and and uh, and on film which is very hard
0: yeah and and uh, he doesn't overpower uh the the perfor- I mean he's he plays cold to al Pacino's hot right he's a, he's a cool distant brooding uh melancholic figure
1: so very yeah. quickly before we go into it Just to give you a final on John Cazale, so you can actually go and check out these movies because they're all extremely important films, honestly. Uh, In that six-year span, he was in um, Godfather 1, Godfather 2, The Conversation, Dog Day Afternoon. You know what
0: I learned from Godfather 2? Mm. Don't ever go fishing with a mobster.
1: Yeah. Or if you're, you know, somewhat in a troubled situation, don't stop at a roadblock.
0: You know what I learned from Godfather One?
1: Yeah, don't be James Conn.
0: You gotta put sugar in the sauce.
1: Oh, that's a that's an old old trick. <laughs> uh, what, what was, was the
0: other one? The conversation?
1: Conversation we had. Conversation. Both the Godfathers, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter. Deer Hunter, which he was diagnosed with uh, pretty terminal lung cancer at the point where he, he got the part, and uh, that was sort of his last role. And he
0: was like, "I'm going to keep um, keep shooting."
1: keep shooting he was he was good again just a kind of a a, the vulnerability he was able to express like he always played sort of weaker secondary characters but that's an art unto itself it's not easy to do and he just had the face for it you know
0: being the second banana it's kind of like uh
1: in that movie third fourth banana
0: sure And, and but you know in in a comedy troupe it's like if you can be a good straight man yeah no one loves it But you are so necessary because the other guys can't crack the jokes if you're not there.
1: Anyone who's taken improv 101 knows you got to make people around you funny or else it's not worth it. Yeah, And you can't be the funny guy. Um, Cassell. Cassell.
0: He's uh, the utility player for all these other actors who have gone on to have. He's
1: worked with some of the best in the business, the Hackmans, the Christopher Walkins, De Niro, Pacino. Um, He worked with Meryl Streep, who he was in a long-term relationship with when he died. Um, So anyway, it's a great documentary about him, too. Uh, which you should check out, called um, "I knew it was you," uh, which Sweet. is a uh, homage to the line uh, that Michael Corleone says to Fredo when he betrays the family. Anyway, go check out any one of those movies; you'll be more than thrilled. And we may check one out for you and give you the rundown. And there, oh, and
0: there's another movie that's based on uh, the real bank robber who uh, this is who Dog Day Afternoon is based on. Mm. So the bank robber who. Um, Sonny Al Pacino's portraying. Uh, he's in a movie called uh, "The." Do- There's a movie about him called "The Dog." Hmm. So check that out too. all right if, if you if you want to get into some documentaries, I mean, who doesn't? You know, since nobody reads anymore, and that's as close as we get to being educated.
1: <laughs> right. All right. Let's get it. Let's it, uh.
0: Well, let's get into this with this uh, bank robbery man. It, it, everything goes wrong, and the whole place gets surrounded by. Dozens and dozens of police officers. It's almost again. It's almost comedic, the number of police that surround this little bank. They're on the roofs. They're snipers. They're SWAT teams behind them, uh, and it and it all happens almost instantaneously. And it reminded me a lot of the final scene in Blues Brothers. Huh. So I thought, okay, Blues Brothers definitely stole stole this uh, final shootout scene from right. uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, and uh, at, and Sonny. Man, he's messed up. What are they going to do now? You know, they've got a bunch of secretaries in the vault. They've got the manager in the vault. They've got a security guard. The security guard is wheezing, um, and it's all. There's no way they're going to get out of here. Plus, they could. There wasn't even
1: that much money in the bank. Yep, the guys did. The, they they actually came after the daily drop was made. Or the daily drop was picked up from the bank, so there was very little cash. Dum dums. Yeah, bank. Yeah, like I said. In the notes, I feel like it. They, they read like I had to rob a book, <laughs> I had to rob a bank for dummies. Yeah, um, because they had some of the logistics down, you know, with the uh, marked bills and stuff, but they didn't know what time the drop was made.
0: Now, at, at this point, um, like uh, if you're if you're writing a comedy, there's this thing that you like. One really simple formula for writing comedy is called uh, it's called the world's worst, mm. and uh, basically you just create a fish out of water and make that. Uh, and then have that fish out of water try to accomplish a goal. So, like, uh, Al Pacino's Sonny is the world's worst bank robber.
1: He's a, he's a fucking sweetheart, too. That's And that's, that's why. why he's
0: bad. His fatal flaw is that, is that he cares about other yeah. people. So, like, you know, if you were going to pitch this movie uh, as a slapstick comedy, you would say, okay, here's the deal. We got a guy. He robs banks. The problem is, is that he cares about everybody?
1: If he was in, you know, on on the team from the movie Heat, on the bank robbing team, he would have gotten smoked before the opening credits. <laughs> right. You never would have seen him.
0: He's the one guy that doesn't know how to walk away when he sees the heat. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to make sure everybody's taken care of. That's true. So, uh, right, and and we see that in the first scene where he he wants the secretaries to be able to go to the restroom. Yeah, he's the then, bank
1: robber with the heart of gold.
0: Oh yeah, and and uh, at this moment in time, um, where everyone in the united states is questioning authority be it from the government drafting people to go to vietnam a war that everyone knows is a big shiny lie that can't be won uh to um police brutality and people questioning the police and how they've been interacting with you know either like uh the african-american community or how they've been treating uh gay people like when you look at the um uh, right around this time you also had a just a couple years earlier, the, um, Stonewall riots. So like everyone hates the cops in New York right now. Attica, right? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But at this moment where, um, people are questioning authority big time, Sonny is the perfect anti-hero and this is a wonderful, um, example of anti-authoritarian, uh, cinema. So we've got uh, Sonny, he, like, th- now he starts shining. Now that he's under the gun and he's surrounded by the cops, uh, we see his his uh, admirable traits uh, become more pronounced. His humanity. He- and that's, that's all we want to see in a movie. That's all we want from an actor, some humanity. And he builds a team. So I don't know why I wrote this. I wrote this as my, my title for this, Sonny Builds a Team. And uh, the first thing he does is he kind of gets the – he gets Sal on board as his first follower.
1: Who knows how or why.
0: And, uh, yeah, so we don't – there's no backstory for how they know each other.
1: There's no backstory to anything in this movie.
0: But what we see is that uh, when he gets on the phone – In the beginning. Again, he's super dumb. He gets on the phone and, like – he said he he didn't wear a mask to the robbery there was no, there was no
1: point break style <laughs> features there was no no mask they're using their fucking first names
0: he says his name is sunny they're like are you alone and he's like no and th- i'm here with sal so immediate.
1: <laughs> there's sal he lives at 44 fucking evergreen terrace windsor you know fucking graves brooklyn
0: yeah sunny is on full snitch mode or he just doesn't have a part of the, of the brain that allows him to you know lie yeah he doesn't lie so he's like, here's Sal, and I would be super pissed if I was Sal. That, because at this point in the robbery, Sonny could take the whole, he could take the fall for everything. Right. But what he's done is he's now created a team because now Sal's fate is inextricably linked to his. They both either they both die or they both get out. Yeah. But Sal, Sal doesn't have an escape on his own, and uh, he. When he goes outside to talk uh, and he sends, first he sends out the, secre- the uh, security guard mm-hmm. showing that he does have, you know, compassion for the welfare of uh, of his hostages. And then the secretary goes out. And this is where I feel like he gets his second uh, follower, which is the head of the secretaries. Oh yeah. Because she goes out and she... Sees the f- she's getting fa- there's fame, she's getting uh, status from being his hostage.
1: She wanted to go back in. She was also not. She didn't feel threatened. She knew the guy was like a, a cupcake. Yeah, A real sweetheart. You know, she didn't oh. feel threatened. She's like, I'm gonna go back in there with my girls. And just like smiles at the camera and is just excited.
0: Yes, and and so this is a gift that Sunny Sunny has actually given these hostages a gift, and the gift is. Uh, fifteen minutes of fame mm-hmm. everybody wants their fifteen minutes of fame when she sees those lights outside in the crowd. I mean she probably feels a a, a, be, a bigger rush of adrenaline that she's had in years. the in the twenty years that she's been counting one dollar bills in those machines at the bank and not only that, but uh, how I think people are attracted to danger because it's it's a thrill it's something different. Yeah, what does she have to go back to? Nothing. You know, if she had left at that moment, which she was totally free to do once she's outside the bank, there's yeah. no way that Sonny's going to shoot her. Uh, she's she's going to go home to a, t- to a tenement. She's going to go back to Yonkers and, and eat a frozen TV dinner with her husband.
1: Who doesn't appreciate her. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I, I will point out that I love about this movie is after the, sort of the, the employees of the bank knew they weren't in any real danger... They kind of discuss how much money they make and why they don't care if the bank gets robbed they're like dude i don't make enough money they were going over you know the the, the security guard makes a hundred dollars a week the bank teller 115 the bank manager kind of discloses i was like i don't make i don't you know i'm not worried about about the bank's money
0: and this is like you know this is the first time we're we're taught in the u.s not to really talk about how much money we make yeah you know it's a shameful thing it's and honestly this idea of being, of having propriety or politeness around how much you make, is the way that the man keeps us all separate. It's true. You know, and that's that's what keeps us from having a, a like strong unions or having workers fight against the boss for raises. It's true. Like, it, there's ridiculous things like when you go for a job interview and they ask you to tell them how much you want. Yeah. Like Two they should <laughs> Yeah. What's you know? It's like oh well, if I if I ask for too much, does that mean that they're gonna immediately reject my application? You know, and when we look at like women having, um, making less money than men, uh, part of that is that they ask for less upfront when they're accepting a job. Right. Um, yeah. So we should all talk about how much money we make at work. Always. Because if you and I are working the same job and you're not, and you're making more than me or not as much as me, we should immediately all go to the boss together and ask for money.
1: They don't want you organizing, Gabe.
0: So class. Class immediately comes up in this movie. And Absolutely. another moment that class comes up, and this whole movie is just rife with issues. Like I said, it's an episode of All in the Family. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is uh, when Sonny, Sonny takes a phone call and a newspaper man is on the other end of the line. And the newspaper man is kind of like trying to sh- shame uh, Sonny into, like, he's asking him, like, wh- why do you want to steal this money mm. instead of working? And Sonny's like, work? Like, what are you talking about work? Uh, Well, I guess I'd get a job if it was a union job, you know? And he's talking about, again, like, uh, what protections people have uh, as employees. Are they being, um, uh, what is it? Are they being exploited by the man? Who isn't? yeah and so like again if this if this interview he's having with the newspaper man is playing over the air, he is becoming incredibly sympathetic to anyone listening right because he he's basically like uh personifying or he's giving voice to the people's um frustrations oh, and when he sends out when he sends out the security guard uh, who's a black man mm. um right here he also like hits a nerve when it comes to race relations and police brutality because he's delivering a hostage but that hostage almost got shot by hundreds of cops uh holding guns up to him and and this is and i was watching this and thinking oh like nothing's changed this is just like any story today where you have like a black man holding up his wallet and getting shot like Seventy-two times by police officers. Civil
1: unrest, race relations—still one thousand percent, tremendously, consistently <laughs> awful issues this country faces. Uh,
0: yeah. So we've got uh, we've got uh, uh, labor rights. We've got police brutality, uh, race. Um, so Sonny is like really he's really getting everybody on his side because now the people who are outside. Who see him?
1: Look, he's fighting for the everyman. He yes. is the everyman. We still don't know why at this point he's doing what he's doing.
0: Yeah, this—he's an affable villain, though. He's—he's a, he's a squirrely little dude. Um, you know, I'd never realized how short Al pacino he just seems really short in this movie too.
1: He is a short guy. Let's uh, find out his height. I didn't. I didn't, I didn't
0: well, that, there's that scene where he's like hopping up and down, trying to spray paint the security camera.
1: Yeah, but I was like, that's up. adorable. 5'7". It's not that short, but short.
0: I think this movie takes a turn after the initial bank robbery Mm. and the comedy of errors. Once they're surrounded, it's still all fun and games. And we've got Sonny, and he's made friends with all the secretaries, and he's got the manager kind of on his side. But the turn happens when Sal sits with him. And Sal whispers, Hey, Sonny. Uh, did you mean that thing you said? Uh, Because Sonny had said,
1: I'm going to start throwing bodies out in the street if you guys come over here. Yeah, trying to threaten the uh, bodily harm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and, And this is when you expect that Sal, like I don't know what Sal wants to hear, but the tone he's taking makes me think that maybe he's not down with throwing bodies out the door. And then Sal says, because if you meant that thing you said, I'm with it. Yeah. And this is the scariest, most quiet, tense moment.
1: Just a murderous hype man.
0: In the film. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I don't think that uh, Sonny's
1: down. No, he doesn't want to hurt. He actually says it in the beginning. You know, I'm, I'm a Catholic. I don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> so I forgot about the Spanish Inquisition or the Crusades. Yeah. <laughs> Catholics or the, the, never hurt nobody. The conquest
0: See? of Mexico yeah. no, <laughs> and really, all yeah. of Latin America. Just
1: everywhere Spain ever went. Yeah. Anywhere any of them ever went.
0: Yeah, so uh, I don't think you can ever say, hey, I'm a Catholic, don't worry, trust yeah, me, trust I'm not going to
1: hurt. <laughs> I'm definitely not hurting kids. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm not here to cause any problems, I'm Catholic. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, um, Sonny, and this makes me think a little bit about uh, mass suicides in mm. cults, because we have uh, Sonny, and Sonny is fluid. He's willing to change what he says. He's willing to go with the flow. He came into this bank to rob it, and he wanted to be hard, but the minute that the secretaries needed to use the restroom, he was able to make that happen. Yeah. So he changes based on uh, being empathetic towards other people. Right. But Sal, now, th- this is the problem with charismatic leaders, though. I honestly don't think that it's the leader that chooses the mass suicide. I think it's their most... Uh, their first follower, yeah. their first convert, who's a zealot. Cause Sal, you know, he takes whatever Sonny says and it as the literal word. So if Sonny says, okay, I, you know, uh, we're gonna throw bodies out in the street, Sal's like, I'm with it. And if Sonny in any way uh, shows that he's wavering with Sal, you know, he's gonna be, he's gonna be on the wrong end of that rifle. Sal's going to murk him, too.
1: Oh, Sal murk anybody.
0: So uh, so this is the pickle. And at this moment, you know, I, I feel like they stopped being a team. And now it's Sonny trying to save everyone inside of that bank from getting killed by Sal. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, like like uh, I always, you know, when I, when I read about, like, the Manson family, hmm. there's some theories that it wasn't. Charlie Charlie didn't want to kill everybody, like to have those murders happen, but he was speaking crazy. And then he had other people who were in the cult, in the family who were like, okay, well, fine. If you're saying that we need to go start this Helter Skelter thing, like I'm with it. Uh, and then like the, the first crew came back from killing Sharon Tate and everybody at the mm-hmm. Tate residence. And Charlie was <laughs> shocked and upset <laughs> that they were you know that they'd done that but he couldn't um he couldn't go against their will or he would have lost status as the leader
1: it's like when you start a movement like that the you know he tyler durdened him <laughs> yeah he <laughs> take, he take it on
0: yeah so uh so this is the pickle that sonny's in now is like maintaining his authority
1: well trying to actually protect these people oddly enough by yes. still getting what he wants uh, so yeah, that that's a that's an issue in play. Um, so here's an interesting point. Up to this point, we still don't know the motive, of, and besides the obvious motive of money, for them robbing the bank.
0: But that's a dumb motive. We need to know why. Why do you need the money? Why?
1: Yeah, it's got to be something. You're not gonna put your freedom on the line just for anything.
0: You know what he needs the money for? He needs the money to get his male wife's sex change. What? This is a crazy reveal for a movie coming out in 1972. Sonny is gay. 1975. Yes. But taking place. Sorry. Yes. it was so, so, um, so crazier. The whole situation taking place in 1972. Sonny is gay and Sonny has gotten married. What? Like 30 years before Barack Obama said it was okay for gay people to get married? Sonny did it because he's a rebel. And not only is he married to a man, but he is down with this man getting a sex change. Super fluid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this movie's hitting, firing on all cylinders when it comes to um, uh, bringing gay people out of the closet, Mm -hmm. uh, talking about gay marriage, and also talking about transsexual issues.
1: Now, I was always curious as to why they waited for so long within the film to get to the actual motive for the robbery and you think it's because of the subject matter and the time that they actually released this movie that if that was the main goal or the main theme of this movie and if it was publicly known that's what it was would there be less viewership based on that
0: i 100 percent think that it was just a great way for the storyteller to Mm -hmm. uh, to reveal facts right um and you want to like find the common ground first and find a way to get everybody on board with uh, Sonny, the bank robber. And by talking about uh, the working man issues first, great. Talking about uh, police brutality, great. So you're getting all these people on board. And I think that if, he had, if they would filmed this like a John Waters movie and had him coming in like sort of queening it up, mm-hmm. that would have turned some people off.
1: Agreed. But I think if people knew that was the premise, it would have, sh- you know, steered a lot of people away from it. We're talking about 1970s America, civil unrest aside, and after the hip, you know, the the, the love movement and everything. it's Still a pretty conservative place.
0: Right. It's still very uh, heteronormative. Correct. And we see I think uh, the way that Al Pacino plays Sonny, he's very uh, straight presenting. Mm-hmm. You know. He's Yeah, he uh, would
1: have no, inc- no 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 idea.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's Just like most I think that's cool, (laughs) totally. Just like, yeah, yeah. Ninety-nine percent. You mean not a stereotype?
1: Yeah. Hello. It's fucking hot out here.
0: (laughs) Not like a a South Park character. Correct. (laughs) Um, totally. So, so I think I think that is a really cool reveal, and the way that they presented in the movie is also um, masterful storytelling to get as many people as possible on board before. Bringing up uh, like an issue that would be more polarizing,
1: right? So they actually, I mean, obviously he wants to talk to uh, Leon, the love interest, his, his technically his husband, who he's actually already married to a heterosexual woman, right? And so has he's two a kids. he's a great father. He, he's also a polygamist.
0: Yeah, yeah. So she the only wants, place that this wants can his cake he he wants, wants to eat it too. He wants his pie. He wants his cake. He wants his creme brulee. This man loves desserts. He loves them. And uh, so he is um, becomes not only an he becomes an icon for uh, the gay rights movement at this moment he's in time too. He's an icon too. for
1: all, so many different movements. I mean, when he starts chatting Attica about police brutality and, and the way prisoners are treated, I mean, he's getting a lot of you know liberal mm-hmm. thinkers on his side, and the crowd starts cheering for him, Chance Attica.
0: And he's the opposite of a selfish criminal. Like Correct. when when you think about crime, crime is. Crime is when you're going against uh, society's conventions, norms, and rules to- um, Better yourself further. Yes. Right. And in this, he is robbing the bank to make money so that his lover can get a sex change. Correct. And his lover, uh, I, we assume, is in uh, Bellevue at the time Correct. under psychiatric care because of the emotional distress and psychological turmoil that not being uh, able to get the sex change is creating.
1: Right, and also Sonny kind of threatens uh, to kill Leon, according to Leon, (laughs) you know, and always says that I'm going to die today.
0: Yes, and it's interesting because um, we, who is the unreliable narrator in this? Is it the filmmaker, or is it all of the characters? Yeah. Because the filmmaker is showing us uh, Al Pacino's Sonny as a total, like, I don't want to say level-headed, but... um, but super charming, super friendly, Mm. uh, super in control of his emotions. And then you have uh, Sonny's mom and Sonny's wives uh, talking about how he can be a bully and how he's Mm. uh, depressed and dark. But we we don't ever see that.
1: You get a glimpse of it because his dad's kind of dark and, you know, (laughs) creepy. But you see that for one split second, basically.
0: Yeah, this movie touches on uh, just a a lot of family drama you know, yeah. and we also, uh, also deal with Stockholm syndrome.
1: Before we get into that, do you think Lee, uh, Sonny's motivation here in order to get the sex change for Leon is to that he returns, returns to sort of a, a somewhat heteronormative situation?
0: What a spicy question. So you're thinking that maybe, uh, Sonny is just trying to get back into a heteronormative relationship with Leon. Well, uh, I think that Sonny is Sunny. Just a question. Yeah, Sonny was physically attracted to Leon as a man. Correct. And for um,
1: society's sake, is he trying to do that so they're viewed okay?
0: Yeah, maybe it's so they can ma- maybe so they can uh, have the uh, marriage be official. Right. It's it's possible. It seems like uh, Sonny is a is a is a pansexual.
1: Yeah, it seems like it.
0: He's an he's a omnisexual dude. He doesn't care if it's a man or a woman. He's connecting with the, with the person. A, se, a sapiosexual. Yeah. These are all terms that might be on uh, Tinder.
1: Are they? Yeah, they might be.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's, fl- he's definitely fluid.
1: I also think that both uh, him and Sal are geographically challenged. Yes. Sal doesn't know that Wyoming is not in America. I
0: feel so bad for Sal, man. There's no way that he's going to make it through this movie.
1: I think that uh, Sonny thinks that uh, Algeria is a warm and tropical place. <laughs> it is not. It's probably pretty much a desert.
0: Yes. So there's uh, there's this moment, too, where I, I, I kind of wanted to bring this up, um, where Sonny is feeding off the crowd. Yeah. And uh, one of the best scenes in the movie is when he – and the best acting scenes for Al Pacino in this, when he really gets to ham it up, are when he is out – in, uh, out in front of the bank mm. with the crowd and he feeds off the crowd's energy. Right. And there's this game in improv class where, uh, it's like an opening game and it's to build a team rapport where, uh, one person just says something or gestures and then everybody else on the team just upro- uproariously applauds and yep. like big, big ups it. And you can physiologically feel yourself changing and growing and becoming more confident, getting positive, um, affirmations from the room Mm. and it's interesting to watch uh sunny as he comes out and he's he's at first a little skittish and nervous and then as the audience you know um, praises him for for how he's been you know behaving as a bank robber up to this point you can just see him gain his confidence and start strutting and yelling and screaming and waving his arms
1: also, his relationship with the main cop, uh, Charles Durning's character, like becomes a little more... I mean, they put each other at ease, in a way. Yes. Like, they know that no real harm will be done, but it's still a very tense situation, and it has to be monitored. The FBI gets in, and everything kind of heightens.
0: Oh, and the FBI, they're the worst. They those are the worst. those are the true uh, villains of this movie. Them and Sal. <laughs> it's funny, because Sal is the bad guy, but he um, I think the first time I saw this... I I didn't think of him as a bad. It, the more I watch it, the more I Usually, think of him I mean, as the end
1: up, big villain. Yeah, I mean he's not great, but you don't you kind of feel bad for him cuz something's not right.
0: Yeah, he's sympathi- he's a sympathetic uh monster,
1: which is a, you know, a John Cazale uh, character. That's card. his wheelhouse. Yeah.
0: Stockholm syndrome, man. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, I was reading up about that a little bit, and that's basically when the the captive starts um Identifying emotionally feeling with. empathy. Yes, yeah. And there's a bunch of different um excuses for why this might happen or explanations, and one of them is that you're it's a survival strategy. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you make yourself seem non threatening to your captor and also you're aligning your goals with their goals to get out of the situation unscathed. Right. But you also see that after the incident um, after the captivity ends, these people still won't want to uh, testify against their captors, right. or they'll still speak lovingly and praise uh, the people that held them hostage. Mm-hmm. So there's examples of this recently. Like there was a, a, a female journalist who got captured by the uh, in Afghanistan by uh-huh. like former Mujahideen, like I- Islamic fundamentalists, and has since. Uh, since then, converted and become a, uh, a converted to Islam and speaks very highly of them naturally. And there's also a, the case of a, a Catholic priest mm-hmm. who was captured by ISIS and is now like totally cool with ISIS. Yeah, well, there's you know, something
1: to be said there.
0: Yeah, and so it's people um... it just
1: really like religion, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, but Patty Hurst is the most. Um, famous example of Stockholm syndrome where, and she was kidnapped by the Symbanese Liberation uh, Army SLA back in the seventies. And they, uh, and they actually brainwashed her and got her to put on a beret and carry a submachine gun into a bank to help them rob it. Uh
1: That's the most famous case of Stockholm syndrome.
0: Yeah. 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 I mean, she was like the Ivanka trunk of Trump of her day.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Melania? Yeah. Melania, sure.
0: Well, maybe Melania's got Stockholm syndrome now. I don't know.
1: Oh, I gotcha. Um, so, Sonny basically just wants to get to talk to Leon, tell him what he's doing, tell him he wants to get him in the plane to go to Tunisia or Algeria or wherever the fuck. And what is it? Leon's like, pull out the crazy stuff in their hair. They're crazy. They're all crazies. But Son- Leon has no more feelings. He's kind of weirdly afraid of Sonny. Or Leon's afraid of Sonny. He doesn't want to go away with him. He's done. Who,
0: who knows how many drugs he's on yeah. As well
1: Lithium, Valium
0: Yeah, what, what sort of uh, mood stabilizing And uh, emotion regulating Chemicals are coursing through his brain True. So uh, I don't think Le- Leon uh, is not a reliable Character in this
1: But he's pretty adamant in the fact that he doesn't want to spend time with Sonny
0: Which is sad Yeah. Because Sonny seems like a charming guy and
1: Sonny He's robbing a bank to uh, get Leon what he needs
0: Yeah, he's just trying to help out
1: Right um so that conversation happens you know and these are all sort of like classic tactics done by negotiators i wonder what real negotiators think about the process or, or what went on in this film you know
0: yeah well i they was watching pizza. uh mine hunter
1: i was just gonna yeah bring that up
0: and in mine hunter they watch this in yeah. the fbi to study it and uh so you know my thought is they—they they probably do. They probably watch this movie for yeah. hostage situations.
1: I mean, it seemed to be working. But you're, you know, again, you're dealing with a particularly nonviolent uh, offender in this case. You know, where people seem genuinely safe. Like if a hostage comes out smiling, and wants to go back in. The guy, she had, she had, she had every option to leave. You know, the mouth they call her. She went back in.
0: Look, every, everybody wants uh, 15 minutes of fame. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to feel a little bit of a thrill. And it's really cool to be next to a Robin Hood-like character. Right. And uh, we also see the pizza guy who uh, brings the pizzas for all the hostages yeah. in the moment that after Sonny pays him uh, like a ton, a of, ton money, of money, yeah. uh, he jumps up and goes, I'm famous. I'm like, a star. I'm a star. Yep. Everybody wants to be a star. And, everyone,
1: and that's kind of like, I mean, they're sort of poking fun at like the hysterical media. Uh, Everything's covered, but you know they're also gaining more traction with the people, so they're they're supported. Huge lines now. They have like the you know the average street person, neighborhood guy, just supporting them. Gay rights, you know, transgender movement comes in to support them.
0: Look, the most important thing. What I learned from this movie is if you're gonna hold people hostage. And that uh, – we can take that liberally and say hold people hostage by making them work for you right. or uh, have, have being a, a program or project leader. Make sure that you keep it fun. you <laughs> got to keep it fun. got
1: to make sure people are cool. And not yeah. So,
0: you know, when Sonny's talking about getting an airplane to get out of there, he's asking everybody yeah, who's in go? there. Where totally. He's like Oprah. <laughs> right. You guys are uh, – let me enroll you in my fantasy. We're all going to do this yeah. together. We're all a team. And uh, we see that even when he's trying to get all the hostages into the limo, yeah, that's a really fun scene for me.
1: That's a great. So let's 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 preface this by saying this is what's happening now. So the Charles Durning, the the the, the detective that was assigned to negotiate initially, is now replaced fully by Shelton and the FBI. The FBI has taken over. They're meeting Sunday's demands to get uh, uh, a limousine to pick them up, take them to the airport so they can fly to Algeria with the, a couple of the hostages. Then return. They will release one hostage at a time
0: and this happened in real life and uh, the in the 70s it seems like hostage negotiators were much more willing to let people actually flee the scene of their crime right so if oh, you watch well, does like,
1: that ever actually happened has anyone gotten away a hundred
0: percent it happened okay. it happened a bunch in the 70s so Carlos the Carlos, Carlos the jackal sure uh, if you watch uh, that miniseries which is amazing you'll see that he uh, <laughs> he definitely took over some planes and they flew them to to Syria into Algeria uh, from France or Germany, and um, the, and the, uh, another time that this happened was uh, at, this reminded me of Munich. So in uh, at the Munich Olympics, when uh, Black September, which was a uh, Palestinian liberation, uh, like I guess you could call them a terrorist cell, because mm. they did it was an act of terrorism when they went to the Olympics and they uh, took all of the Israeli team hostage they tried to get away on a plane and it ended kind of, it ended like this, like poorly, poorly, <laughs> poorly. But the only reason that they thought that they could get away with it in the first place is because that was, um, general practice up to that point was that hostage negotiators weren't, uh, were willing to, uh, work with, um, aggressive parties to, yeah, yeah. for the sake of keeping the hostages safe. Right and now this is the worst country in the world to um
1: browser negotiations yeah yeah, yeah.
0: the u s is the worst place to kidnap people, so like if you get kidnapped in uh South America, you might get returned but if if someone gets kidnapped in the u s they never get <laughs> they don't get returned ever uh and uh and the and the police will kill everyone in the shootout
1: That's <laughs> true
0: yeah, we just don't we i mean it's just not something that we train our uh
1: especially at this climate yeah. Yeah. So the FBI is a little more aggressive, obviously, in sort of like uh, moving the whole thing along. So they, get up, they meet his demands. Limo comes up, and this is the best scene. It looks like a, like a Ringling, Ringling Brothers and Barman and Bailey Circus type act.
0: Oh, man. It, also, it feels like another um,
1: improv act. Yeah,
0: uh-huh, totally. <laughs> like, a, like a team building at a corporate retreat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so basically the, the hostages lock arms and form a full circle around Sal and Sonny, who have them at gunpoint still. And he walked them from the front door of the bank all the way inside the limousine to where they get in. Sonny wants the, as he calls him, the black guy to drive. Who's the guy that brought him. Who's, yes. Who's a fan of his work, apparently, at this point. Offers him 1000 bucks to drive them. FBI is not having it. They're like, no, we're taking our driver, which is automatically red flag number one. But you should have seen it coming. But, so they make the beeline to the airport amidst a massive police escort. Um with the hostages and everyone else, and the FBI agent in the car, in the car. So now we're going to the final scene of the film. Yeah, so you, sad, and, so sad. And you're thinking that uh,
0: they could get away with it. Get away with it. And you're like, well, what's going to happen? Uh, uh-uh. How are we going to break up this family? Right. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm imagining the bank tellers in Algeria.
1: Yeah, just having fun and. F- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a not great place. Yeah, yeah. That time.
0: well, I mean, and Sonny's going to have to break up the whatever $1,200 that they got okay. the, from the bank uh, among his new family.
1: Yeah, and also they're all hungry because Sonny didn't get to eat the pizza that got delivered. Yeah. The FBI uh, agent lets to know there's going to be uh, hamburgers on the plane. Hamburgers, aspirin. We'll never, we'll never know. More soft drinks. There's hamburgers on the plane. Yeah. he asked for beer that one time. That was funny. <laughs> um, so they get to... Uh, the tarmac, basically, in the car. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the FBI agent sort of pulls a little lever down, and there's a gun next to him. He asks Sal if he's okay. Sal who's becoming more and more panicky at this point, you can tell. Not by action, but just by his facial, his dead facial expression, <laughs> who's uncomfortable. His
0: intense, a dark, coal-black eyes. But he has obviously
1: been the wild card the whole time as far as violent acts. Yeah. Right, potential violent acts being committed. So they get there. Uh... There's a, some sort of a quick distraction. I don't know how. FBI agent grabs a gun, shoots Sonny in the head immediately, uh, and then sort of panic sets in. And Pacino knows it's over. Put the gun on him, cuff him. Everyone's screaming. They kind of had a soft spot for Sal too, even though he was a nightmare. Uh, yeah. Hostages.
0: Yeah. We don't. I don't really see why they were are affectionate with Sal, I but could, yeah, you never tell. In the true story, they say that he really was. A, he was a sweetheart. They liked him. Yeah. So. He was a better There's character that.
1: as the wild card in this, uh, in this situation. You know, uh, the actual bank robber had some issues with the way the movie was portrayed, especially with his family and stuff. But and I, really
0: wonder, I wonder, I uh, wonder how, uh, at what point in the story did Sonny know that this was the way that it had to end? Was he actually relieved that Sal was dead? You know, oh, was it even, was it a I think, betrayal?
1: I can't. I just think that. It, he didn't I don't even know if that registered to him at that point I think he just was so ins- just knew it was over
0: yeah you
1: know? I mean I'm sure he's not thrilled that he got someone to join him and then that person's now dead but I mean I think he just knew it was all over I mean the look on his face was great and, and, a, and a series of different facial tics Pacino had in this movie which were great I thought because I think it was part of the character yes um, yeah you just, the look on his face was perfect I mean he just knew starry eyed just done
0: Again, you know, a cla- this is a classic 70s film. Yeah. Uh, the, the, gen- the gentle protagonist is, uh, is killed. One of them is killed, a sacrificial lamb, right. um, who's another casualty to an unjust society. Mm. You know, he, uh, Lenny from Mice of Men, Sal. Yes. So, and then, uh, what, Al Pacino's Sonny doesn't really, he doesn't uh, get the money, he doesn't get the sex uh, change for his lover, he goes to jail. His lover kind of abandoned him. Yeah. And
1: his wife, his actual wife, now hates him. So he's got a relationship to work with his kids, and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. So the last scene of the movie is him being walked off the tarmac in handcuffs.
0: And the last sounds you hear in the movie are the sounds of an airplane's engine.
1: Yeah. Uh, and Again, this, like you pointed out, yeah. no soundtrack in this film. All natural sound.
0: All natural all sound. All live sets. All natural lighting. Super ugly. Everyone is really sweaty. Yeah. Uh, all the locations are genuine; they're not sound stages. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, this is just a, it's a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. Great, great movie. And a great atmosphere, great acting. Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about Dark this Day is, Afternoon.
1: I can honestly say this is my the, my favorite movie that we've done.
0: Yeah, up to this point.
1: My, I mean, the best.
0: You ready to go rob a bank now?
1: I yes. All right. I'm
0: ready to
1: See you guys later. Get it, man, honey.